Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Matthew. And so today, uh, flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And as you flip there, I think it's, it's just a powerful reminder that, again, here we are in the holiday season, uh, ready to start uh, getting ready for the holidays. And so uh, thank you for uh, Alicia helping us highlight that this morning. Today, we're going to be talking about resting in the right way, resting in the right way. And so... Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about rest. And, and so when you think about what comes to your mind when you think about rest, you might think about taking a nap, sleeping at night, uh, sleeping in a bed, uh, maybe reading a book, time with family, or vacation. All these things come to your mind when you think about the idea of rest. And so for me, when I think about uh, rest and relaxation, I immediately think of vacation. I love going on vacation with my family, uh, going to visit family. Uh, and I actually remember one of the very first vacations that, that I can remember. Actually, I think one of the first ones my family took growing up. Remember, I grew up on this farm in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. So one year we went on this huge vacation. We went to a wedding in South Dakota. And from there, we went on to uh, to Mount Rushmore, which is also in South Dakota. So we kind of drove through there. And um, and I, I'll just say I love Mount Rushmore. But every time I've gone there, I'm like real excited. And they're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> and that's it. But that wasn't the highlight of the trip. We went on from there uh, to North East Montana, Wolf Point, Montana, where my aunt and uncle, Uncle Henry and Aunt Teresa, lived on this uh, massive ranch, okay? And so uh, we traveled up there, and uh, Uncle Henry and Aunt Teresa lived on this place where they had tens of thousands of acres, tens of thousands, or not, probably just thousands of animals. They had sheep, cattle, and a bunch of different things. So I still remember this as a fourth grader, uh, going to see all these things. Now, here's the other thing I remember. We arrived at this ranch on our family vacation, um, and my dad said to Uncle Henry, how can we help? And so immediately, Uncle Henry put us all to work, okay? I remember my brother going out to swath hay, my dad going out to bale hay. They actually put me on a tractor as a fourth grader, one of those big four-wheel drive tractors. And I was thinking, I still remember driving on the side of this hill in Montana, thinking the whole tractor was going to roll over, uh, because in Kansas, we don't have hills, okay? Nothing like that. Uh, but they put us to work. And uh, in fact, I remember this, uh, we did this for a week straight and then we went home and I still remember, I thought it was great. I didn't know anything different. Uh, but when we got my home, my mom let it be known that she wasn't quite so thrilled. And she said something to the effect of, if that's a vacation, I don't want to go on another one. Um, <laughs> so she thought my dad misunderstood what a vacation was supposed to be. But actually there's something else uh, that happened on that vacation that that vacation, uh, that I remember, something that I think helps us to understand our text uh, this morning. And so I remember there was one afternoon, probably in the middle of the week, we'd been there for a little while, and my dad was fixing the baler, okay? He was fixing this big machine that pumps out those big round bales. And I was sitting there watching him, kind of bored, and he said, hey, Marcus, go ask Uncle Henry for a flathead screwdriver, okay? I said, okay. And so I, I went to get the screwdriver, brought it back to him, and he's pounding on it with the hammer, and it broke. And he said, hey, Marcus, take this back to Uncle Henry and ask him to give me a chisel. And so here's a picture for you so you can kind of see what these two things are. Uh, and so there's a screwdriver and there's a chisel. So I took it back to Uncle Henry and I said, hey, now my dad needs, Uncle Henry, now my dad needs a chisel. 
And he said, well, does he need a chisel or a screwdriver? Why didn't he just ask for a chisel in the first place? And I, I think this was one of the first times I saw a grown man come out and tell my dad he made a mistake. <laughs> and uh, and he took it well. But uh, he came out and uh, and said, use the right tool for the right job. And uh, I've never forgotten that. What my dad did was he took a good tool and he used it in the wrong way. And it busted. In our passage today, uh, Jesus tells us that we as humans do the exact same thing. We take a good tool, something that God gave us, a good thing like rest, and we use it in the wrong way. Things get broken when we do that. So at the very end of Matthew 11, you might remember this from last week. Jesus said these words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to give us the gift of rest, but rest in the right way. Because you see, I think what we do is we take this gift and we twist it, just like the people in Jesus' day were doing. So I want us to look at Matthew 12, where Jesus continues this conversation. And I believe, uh, really, that this text leads us to ask three questions. And hopefully we can answer those questions. Ask three questions that will help us rest. And so we're going to look at this story from Matthew 12 and see what it is that Jesus is trying to teach us about this gift of rest. And so the first question is, we read through these verses, and you'll see this in verses 1 through 8, that we have to ask is, uh, who is in charge here? Who's in charge in this story? Who's in charge in our lives? And so Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8 says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law about how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. So when we think about this question, these three questions to help us rest. This first question is this, who is in charge? You read the story, I think the people in the story are a little bit confused about who's in charge. Who's the one that's supposed to tell them how to rest? Because remember, in just a few verses ago, three verses ago, Jesus offers us rest. He says, you will find rest for your souls. And now here he is having this dispute with the Pharisees about what rest is. So Pharisees, just to remind you, Pharisees are these super religious people during the time of Jesus. They were the the goody two-shoes, if you will. But people really didn't look down on them because they were the goody two-shoes. People looked up at them and said, if only I could be like the Pharisees. They've got it all together. They know what it's like to be religious. And so people looked at them and said, they're the ideal. Jesus doesn't really quite have the same opinion um, because of how they do things. And when we ask this question about who's in charge, I actually think there's usually two errors that people make when we, when we ask this question. One is uh, we look to the wrong person. We say, I'm going to follow that person because they're in charge. 
that person leads us down the wrong path. Or we say, I don't like any of the people who are in charge, so I'm just going to do it my way. Okay, so both ways are equally dangerous. I think it's important for us to recognize in this story and in life in general, who's in charge. So what's going on in this story? It says Jesus and his disciples are, are walking along. They're passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and they get hungry. Um, and so if you, you walk through these fields, the grain's probably about waist high and they got hungry. And so what they did is started picking off the heads of grain, rubbing the kernels and popping it in their mouth. Wheat, barley, that kind of stuff. Um, if you've never done that before, let me just tell you, you can't get full doing that, okay? So this is just a little snack. We can call it wheat thins, okay? Just a little bitty snack for them to get by while they're on the way to something else. But the Pharisees look at them and say, whoa, 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 you all are working. Um, in fact, the Pharisees' uh, tradition, traditional law said you couldn't harvest, you couldn't thresh, and you couldn't uh, clean the wheat. Well, the disciples were doing all three in their hands. And so the Pharisee says, you guys are guilty. You are violating the law that God's given. We're going to come back and look at that. You're violating the Sabbath. It is not lawful to do this on the Sabbath. So Sabbath is actually this word. The Hebrew word is Shabbat. It's a verb. And the verb actually means to cease. All right. So God gave his people this day called the Sabbath day on which they were supposed to cease everything they were doing. And so the Pharisees looked at Jesus' disciples and said, they're not stopping, they're not ceasing, they're working, guilty. So how does Jesus respond? I think what we see here in the text is Jesus gives really three illustrations to demonstrate why what his disciples are doing is actually not violating the Sabbath. Uh, And really what we're going to get to, here's a little hint, is Jesus says this is all about the heart of what God intended with the Sabbath, the intent of the Sabbath. So the first illustration is King David. So we're going to actually be flipping around in your Old Testament a bunch today. So if you have a phone with a Bible, that might be easy to look it up. Or if you have a Bible, try to wrestle through it. I didn't put all the verses on the screen, so you can just listen to them if you want to. But the first place we're going to go is 1 Samuel chapter 21. So here's the situation in 1 Samuel 21. King David is not the king yet. Uh, and in fact, King Saul, the king at the time, is actually trying to kill him. David's on the run, trying to escape from King Saul, running for his life. Um, He has no food and no weapons. So what does he do? He goes to the house of the Lord. And when he gets there, 1 Samuel 21 says this. Uh, I'm going to look at verse 4. He gets there and he says, please give me some food. Verse 3, whatever, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. And he goes on to say, um, are you guys worthy of eating it? Verse 6, so the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is not removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So you might hear that and you're like, what, what in the world is he talking about? So there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are worth understanding if you spend a little time on them. Back in the book of Exodus, when God gave the law, he said to them, here, make this tabernacle. And one of the things in the tabernacle was actually this table 
that they had to lay bread on every day. They'd bring bread and say, this bread is an offering to God, and it sits there for basically a whole day, or maybe it was seven days. I can't remember the exact details. Um, And then at the end of those seven days, the priests could take it and eat it. But it was only the priests who were allowed to do it. So what happens? David shows up, says, I'm hungry. I'm about to die. Give me the dedicated bread. And the priest gives it to him. So David violates this law, supposedly. And yet, he's never condemned for it. He doesn't get punished for it. In fact, Scripture, Jesus in this case, seems to affirm that David did the right thing. He took bread in order to stay alive. So what's going on here? David's situation was life and death. Uh, Here's the deal. Jesus' situation with his disciples is not the same. Okay, Jesus is not struggling with life and death. It just says his disciples are hungry, so they picked a few heads and popped the kernels in. So there's not a clear analogy here where Jesus is saying, David was in danger and he saved his life, so my disciples are in danger, and so therefore they're going to save their lives. That's, that's not what's happening here. Okay, Jesus makes a point that David did something that was in the spirit of what God intended. God gave these commands, God gave the law, God gave the Sabbath, in order to give life, not to keep life away from people. And so Jesus' situation with his followers, it's not the situation that allows him to tell them to eat the grain. It's his authority. So we're beginning to see already he's the one who's in charge in this story. Jesus says, I understand the purpose of the Sabbath. A little bit later, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's his authority that allows him to tell his disciples, you're allowed to do this. So the first illustration he gives is King David. In other words, he says what David did was within the the, the intent of what God had here. The second illustration is the priests in the temple. And so you see up there Numbers 28. Flip over to Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. So when you read the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy... There's a lot of details, a lot of laws that God lays out, like the one about where to put the bread in the tabernacle. And he tells the priest, here's how you're supposed to do your sacrifices. So Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10, here's what he tells the priest. God tells the priest this. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering, this is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Okay, (laughs) what do we do with that? What did Jesus say back in Matthew chapter 12? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless. In other words, God tells the priest to do work on the Sabbath. He says, make the sacrifice. That's your job. Do your job in the temple, in God's holy house. So Jesus is starting to hint at something here that maybe it's not just about not doing work. There's a different intent behind this. Because why would Jesus, why would God tell the priest to do work if it was just If the point of the Sabbath was just to not do work, then it would be sinful for God to tell the priest to do work. So there's something else going on here. God actually commands them to work. Maybe the Pharisees, maybe humans in general, have the wrong understanding of what the Sabbath is there for. 
Remember, God gives these commandments, God gives his word in order to give life. So Jesus points out to the Pharisees, clearly you don't tell God he's doing the wrong thing by telling the priests to work. So something else is going on. What's the third illustration? This one kind of ties it together. It's Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Hosea is this prophet. Uh, this is actually the second time Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew. He quotes it back in Matthew chapter 9 as well. But Hosea 6, verse 6. Again, God's talking to his people. He's saying, you have turned your back on me. You've quit obeying my laws. You've turned away from me. And yet, you're still going through the motions of sacrifices. You're coming to the temple every week, making your sacrifices. You're saying the prayers. You're burning the incense. You're putting the bread before the Lord. But something's not right. What does God say? Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see... When Jesus quotes the prophet Hosea, he's basically confirming, you all have missed the point of all this. The point of all this is not just to dot your I's, cross your T's, and follow all the rules. Those rules, those principles that God gives us are there for a reason. And that is to give life. And if you don't have a heart of mercy, a heart of love, Jesus says to these Pharisees, you've missed it. You've missed the point. The priests in the temple, and if you had not known what that means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So Jesus says, you all are out there with a condemning spirit, not realizing the spirit of God's law, the spirit of God's love is to bring mercy and forgiveness to people. So what Jesus is saying in all this is that these Pharisees have missed the point of what the Sabbath is there for. This day of rest is there for. And it's interesting if you look at that list, uh, kings, priests, and prophets. In Israel, in the Old Testament, there were three types of leaders. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets gave messages from God. Priests were the messenger, the intermediaries between God and man. And the king was the one that God put in charge politically on earth uh, to rule the nation. And Jesus says to them, prophet, priest, and king all understood that there's something different here, a different intent than what you all thought. All three of these suggest that the Pharisees have a misunderstanding or they're misusing the Sabbath. Okay, They got all upset because the disciples were making themselves a snack. Jesus says this reveals that you have the wrong intent. So let's talk a little bit about what is the intent of the Sabbath. Old Testament has a lot of stuff about the Sabbath day. So we just want to touch on it just briefly. Flipping your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. So first of all, the intent of the Sabbath, uh, we see that God gives a command. And so when people keep the Sabbath, they are following God's command. So let's look at the command first. And this is what uh, the Pharisees said was being violated. So Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments are given here in Exodus 20 and then again in Deuteronomy 5. We'll look at that in just a minute. But Exodus chapter 20, uh, let's look at uh, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Whether you've heard those verses or not, if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, they're usually really short statements, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness. All of a sudden we have four verses in a row dealing with one commandment. God spends a lot of words talking about the importance of this commandment, keeping the Sabbath. So God gives this command, and it's based on God's example. So flipping your Bibles over to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Thus, or first of all, I'm going to read the last verse in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Repeated a few times in there, right, that God rested. And it's that word, Sabbath. He ceased from all his work. So following God's example, and then one more verse in, in Isaiah 58 tells us that the Sabbath is really about following God's purpose. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. God says, you've been violating my Sabbath, but if you will come back, verse 13, second half of verse 13, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God says in that verse, the purpose of all this Sabbath regulation is that you would delight in the Lord. Take your delight in the Lord. Why does he want you to stop and rest, people of Israel? So that you can stop and take delight in the God who has saved you. You see, it's not just about about to know about him. It's not just to know about his word or to know about his commandments. God says, I want you to know me and delight in me. God wants us to delight in him and know him. And the Sabbath rest, the Sabbath day, in God's plan is a gift from God to help his people know him better. It's not a burden. So the intent of the Sabbath is to delight in the Lord and his works. Okay, So this is a lot of background information to help us understand why Jesus is, is having this argument with the Pharisees. The intent of the Sabbath is to delight in the Lord and his works. And you saw already uh, he wants us to delight in his creation and delight in his deliverance. Where do we get this from? We already read uh, Exodus 20, verse 11, uh, where it ends with saying, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. 
God says, celebrate the Sabbath so you can remember that God created the earth. By implication, remember, you didn't create the earth. No one else, nothing else created the earth. God created it. But here's the other thing. The next time God gives the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, it's worth looking at this verse. Flip over to Deuteronomy 5. Um, where Jesus, or where God says, uh, he, he basically lifts off, lists off the Ten Commandments for the second time. But this time, look at how he concludes this commandment. I'm going to start reading at verse 12. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Okay, that sounded the same so far, right? But look at how he concludes it this time. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. If you think about God's people, they were living in slavery. There's no rest for slaves, okay? They have to work all the time, whenever and however their master tells them to work. And so when God brought them out, one of the things he said is, I want you to have a day of rest so that you remember that I delivered you from slavery. And so the intent of the Sabbath is to remember that God brought you out. You didn't do this. The intent of the Sabbath is to delight in the Lord and in his works, especially that work of creation and that work of deliverance. You know, if you read the Psalms, there are two things that the psalmist can never get over. He's just overwhelmed with these two things. One is that God is the creator, and two is that God is the deliverer. He's the only one who can set you free. But the Pharisees had missed the point when it comes to Sabbath. They missed the point. Jesus says, if you had read this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you had understood this, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Clearly, they didn't understand it. See, what Jesus says is God is full of mercy. And the Sabbath is actually a merciful gift, a place that God gives us mercy. God wants us to rest in him. Warren Wearsby says this, God wants mercy, not religious sacrifice. He wants love and not legalism. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So God says, I want you to rest in me. Celebrate the fact that I've made a new creation in you. That's one of those things we celebrate. Delight in the Lord and in his works. Three questions to help us rest. That first one is who's in charge? It's really a question of authority. The same story is told in Mark 2. And Jesus actually adds one statement. Mark records one more statement that Jesus makes that helps us understand this. Look at what it says. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark 2, he says, the seventh day, he says, uh, I'm sorry. He says, the Sabbath is for the man, not man for the Sabbath. The seventh day 
is a gift from God. And Jesus also says, one greater than the temple is here. You know, this is interesting here in Matthew 12. Jesus is making that point about prophet, priest, and king. I remember I mentioned that. He says, one greater than the temple is here. In other words, all your traditions that you had, I'm the fulfillment of those. In fact, I'm the God who inspired all those. A little bit later in the chapter 1241, he says, um, one greater than Jonah is here. I'm greater than all the prophets. And then verse 42, he says, one greater than Solomon is here. In this chapter, Jesus is making a claim that he is the one who's in charge. The son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The king is here. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, worship him and know him. That's what he's revealing in this story. Not only did the Pharisees miss the heart of what God intended with the Sabbath, but now they're missing the Lord of the Sabbath himself as he shows up. But here's another question for us. That first question is, who's in charge? You probably knew the answer to that question, okay? Because, of course, God's in charge. God's the one who created the Sabbath. God's the one who created the earth. Second question in the next few verses is, who is in need? Who's in need of rest? Who's in charge of rest? Who's in need of rest? Let's read these verses, verses 9 through 13. Jesus went on from there, and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. So this is interesting to me. Um, The Pharisees had totally abused this whole Sabbath thing again. They said, we are looking to try to catch Jesus so we can condemn him. You know, one of the images that's associated with rest is a bed, right? You lay down on a bed to rest. Well, here's a special kind of bed. This is not the kind you want to take a rest on, is it? This to me is a picture of exactly what the Pharisees have done. They've taken this thing that you can lay down on and they've turned it into an instrument of torture and execution. This is what the Pharisees have done. They've taken a tool from God, rest, and they've used it to trick, to trap, and to try to kill people. So who's in need? Did you notice the Pharisees totally missed the guy who's in need? All they wanted to do was find a way to catch Jesus. They didn't care about the guy who had a problem. They didn't care one bit about him. All they wanted to do was trap Jesus. Jesus' example, I love this, the example of the sheep. He says, you guys are hypocrites. If your sheep falls in the ditch, you wouldn't even think twice about bending down and taking him out on the Sabbath because it's going to cost you. And yet, here's a man who God made in his own image who's suffering, and you're trying to keep me from doing good to that person? See, this man has an obvious physical need, and Jesus restores him. He restores him on the Sabbath. I think another point Jesus is making here is when you, to not do good is actually evil. On the Sabbath or any other day. It doesn't matter. And so Jesus says, here's an opportunity to do good, to restore a human being. Every human being has needs. Who needs rest? 
We all physically need rest. But if you've been here through this series on Matthew, one of the things Jesus has been driving home is your greatest need is not physical. Physical healing, physical prosperity, physical wealth, physical rest. Your greatest need is spiritual rest. To be able to rest in a relationship, to depend fully on the God who created you and depend on him to forgive your sins. Your greatest need is to rest in him and depend on him. Here's that verse from Mark 2.27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath command is a reminder to us that we need rest. Humans are in need of rest physically, which reminds us that even more importantly, we are in need of rest spiritually. And that can only be found in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. This reminds us that we still need to rest spiritually. So here's a question before we go on to that third thing, the third point, and that is this. Do we still need to keep the Sabbath? Based on everything Jesus is saying here, are we, are we required to keep the Sabbath day uh, and worship in that way? So I had a seminary professor who used to say it this way. Nowhere, nowhere in, in the New Testament does Jesus explicitly say, you must keep the Sabbath. And on the seventh day, you must set it aside to worship. He never says that. In fact, his teaching on the Sabbath is more about a lifestyle of Sabbath. But my seminary professor said this, common sense should tell you that you should take one out of seven days to rest. And if that's what you need in order to remember your creator and your redeemer, then by all means, absolutely observe the Sabbath. And that's what church tradition has done. We've set aside a day to delight in him. And in the Old Testament, that day was Saturday, uh, the Sabbath day. Uh, after Christ rose from the dead, the church historically recognized the significance that Christ rose on the first day of the week on Sunday morning. Uh, and so we celebrate our Christian Sabbath, if you will, on Sunday. The heart, though, of the Sabbath is what Jesus is after. Not the day, not the regulations. The heart of the Sabbath is to rest in God. His mercy fills us with love and mercy and the ability to love others. John Piper says this, One day of rest in every seven, kept holy to the Lord, reminds us and shows the world that God is our creator and our deliverer. We did not make ourselves. We cannot sustain or save ourselves without his grace. The Sabbath allows us to be still and know that he is God. So I would say this, it's unwise to go through life without having a heart of Sabbath rest. Are we required to check the box and do it in a specific way? Jesus doesn't go that direction. Yet he does say, I want you to have this heart of resting in God. So who's in need of Sabbath rest? All of us. Physically and even more importantly, spiritually. And a day that we set aside is a great tool to do that. The last question is this, who is able to rest? And we see this in the last verse. Matthew twelve fourteen says this, but the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him how to destroy him. Now that's a pretty strong statement. Open opposition now. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus was talking about, or in the book of Matthew, Jesus was referring to how they're opposed to him little by little, more and more. 
Here it says they actually are trying to figure out how to destroy him, to kill him. So who is able to rest? Clearly the answer from this passage is not the religious people. Being religious doesn't automatically mean you can take rest. It's only those who have a relationship with the king, the Lord of the Sabbath. And unfortunately, those religious leaders turn their back on that opportunity. Only those who have a relationship with him. The Sabbath lifestyle, depending on him, resting in him, resting in his love and mercy, and then sharing that love and mercy with those around you. That's what God calls you to do. Matthew, 20, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we pray that we would rest in the right way, rest in your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray, uh, Lord, that as we see your heart to give us rest, Lord, we would depend on you physically and spiritually. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Go and make disciples.